Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. It's our last episode of 2020, and we're talking to everybody to get their impressions of the season that was. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. Plus a fun musical look back at the top fuel year. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Loans, your host here at the NHRA Insider Podcast, and it is the final episode of the 2020 year, and it's going to be a fun one here as we're going to kind of have a whip around. I'm going to talk to a lot of people that you know involved with the NHRA on Fox show. I'm going to talk to some people that you don't know involved with the NHRA on Fox show. We're going to go inside and outside the TV truck. We'll talk to people like Bruno Massel. We'll talk to Tony Pedragon, Amanda Busick, Jamie Howe. We'll also go inside the TV truck to talk to Chris Meadows, who's the director. We'll talk to Rob Hedrick, who is a guy that is involved in post-production, building um, a lot of segments that you see, and certainly doing a lot of the work that you watch on NHRA Social. We'll talk to Steve Reinches, who's all of our bosses. We'll make sure we don't screw up that part of the whole deal. And uh, we'll also catch up with uh, Pete Richards, who is the coordinating producer with Fox that works with NHRA, as well as Todd Venny, who is a pit producer for the NHRA in, uh, on Fox. Our broadcasts on Sundays, he worked very hard to help dig out those great stories that we show you from inside and outside the racetrack. And obviously, we've talked about it a billion times. It's been a wild year. We're going to look back at the the top fuel season as well once we get through our interviews there is a musical interlude at the end of the show to take you through the top fuel year and uh, i think you'll dig it some of the big highlights and the big final rounds that uh, filled us up through 2020 once we got the season not only started at the beginning but restarted in the mid-summer as i mentioned our last episode of the year this will be i believe the 44th or 45th episode of the show in 2020, which uh, is cool. And uh, Rob Hedrick is a big part of that because he makes sure this thing gets posted after I send him the stuff and he makes it sound all good and everything else. So uh, big thanks to Rob for his work behind the scenes here on The Insider. And big thanks to everybody that was a guest over the course of 2020. Obviously, through the months that we had no racing, uh, we got to talk to some great people. If you go back to listen to some of the episodes, uh, some very poignant conversations. We had a great conversation, uh, of course, prior to everything that happened this summer with Dominic Lagana talking about kind of his life and how he takes drag racing, how he takes his own life in terms of his attitude and what he does on a day-to-day basis. And if you listen to that interview now, knowing uh, what later happened to Dom, you'll understand why he has dealt with and come back from the brink of a very bad situation in such a positive way with a lot of support from the NHRA drag racing community and the drag racing community on the whole. We talked to people like John Lundberg and Bob Fry. Um, Really some interesting conversations with people that aren't necessarily day-to-day parts of the NHRA world. So over the next week or two, when we're going to be off the air before we start recording these in 2021, go back to some of the old episodes and check out some of those interviews from people that um, you might not have expected us to speak to. And some of those conversations are really, really cool. Uh, Because this is going to be a show that will be very busy with a whole bunch of guests, I am going to leave it at that, and I am going to move us into our first guest. And frankly, as I'm making this intro, I'm not sure who that's going to be. I have a list of people to call, a list of people that are calling me, and we'll find out how we're going to get this thing started here momentarily. But 
one more time before I head off into the interviews here. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in and making the NHRA Insider Podcast a success. I love making these on a week-to-week basis. I love the fact we get to have some extended style, uh, long-form conversations with crew chiefs and racers and engine builders and people that have an effect on the sport of drag racing, no matter what the class or category. So sit back, relax, and listen to the people that were inside bringing you the stories of the 2020 season as they tell some of their stories and remember some of the things that stick out for them over the course of what was one of the most topsy-turvy years in the world of NHRA drag racing. All right, so I mentioned in the open, I didn't know who the first guest on this show would be, but I do know now. He is the director of post-production and supervising producer for the National Hot Rod Association, a guy that I spend a lot of time each week with virtually, Mr. Rob Hedrick. How are you doing, Rob? Great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing really well. And uh, I think it is appropriate that you and I begin the show together with our guests because, frankly, we spend a lot of time talking to each other these days. <laughs> <laughs> we do. It's, it's really weird. Like, we have this weird, like... Uh... What I think people of the 1970s would think the future looks like, where we talk to screens. and <laughs> Yes, we are living in our homes of tomorrow. You quite literally, because, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to have you talk about on this show was kind of what your role has been. Not only, obviously, the online content that you and I make so much of, but really during the television production of the year, you're an integral part of that. So kind of walk people through exactly what you have been doing in your apartment in downtown Los Angeles. Well, you know, we saw the, we're here in California, so we saw the shutdowns happening in San Francisco, and um, I think that happened on a Wednesday night, and I drove up to the office Thursday and grabbed a screw gun out of my office, and I essentially just loaded all of the studio equipment we had into my car and then thought, either I'm going to get in really big trouble for this, or <laughs> I'm going to be thought of as a genius. <laughs> and, of course, it was somewhere in between, so... I think it was the Sunday after the lockdown happened, we did the first, you had that great idea for the uh, Mystery Science Dragster Theater. Yes. And I think it was you and Jeffrey kind of like hatched that together. And so I think Sunday after the lockdown was put in place in LA, we did one of those shows live. And so we're all like, well, how the heck did we do that? And then I sent you guys a picture of all the stuff I had moved to my apartment. They were like, uh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and and it's obviously an audio medium here, but the the reality is to describe it to people at home as a layperson like me, it is incredible. Rob has what is effectively like an entire TV truck built kind of in his apartment, and uh, God only knows what your electric bill looks like. But uh, without you doing that, we would have really, in so many ways, been dead in the water. And it goes beyond to the point where you were actually, to my understanding, you were actually doing things as we were at the races, making television shows. You were also making segments, making in and out bumps and stuff like that for our show live as we were making it, right? Right. So one of the things, like in the olden days, you would send a satellite truck. And, you know, olden days anymore was 20, 2015. Right. Uh, in the olden days, you'd send a satellite truck. Well, now everything's done on fiber. And so one of our partners is AT&T Global Video Services. And so they have all these, think of these like, it's like the internet, but instead of sending packets and pictures of your dog around, you're sending full broadcast streams of television. So we have a place that that gets dropped off at Fox in uh, Charlotte and then Fox here in LA for us to send the, the feedback to them so they can air it. Well, we have another one of those boxes at our office in Glendora. So I found this company that lets us do... Uh, live video over the internet in real time and so I put two of those boxes in my house and two of those boxes at the office 
So now anything the TV truck's doing live, I have the ability to access that at my house. And so talking to Steve Reinches, one of the things that they needed was these cool out bumps and like little teasers going in and out of break. So during the show, during the live racing, I'm recording what we call the clean feed, which is essentially the feed that goes to your house, but without graphics. And so when a big run happens, I text Steve and uh, then talk to him over a comm system from my house and say, Hey Steve, uh, what do you think about the Jack Beckman and the Ron Caps pair coming up next? And he says, that's great. So then I will take the runs from the previous round, put some graphic treatments that I built on it, and then make an edit. And sometimes it's voice, sometimes it just goes raw. And then I send it back to the TV truck, and then the TV truck can air it going into the next round. And, you know, you talk about the comm system. This is one of the coolest parts about this whole thing. You can basically talk to Steve and the people in the television truck as if you were sitting next to them real time. Yeah, in fact, the first time it came up, <laughs> I remember Steve. Steve's known for uh, being very tactful. So when you get when you get a comment from Steve like this, you're like, "That's pretty good." Steve goes, "How come I can hear Rob better and he's two thousand miles away?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been really something. And you know, I guess a question I also have for you is like, uh, as technically savvy as you are, what have you kind of learned over this period of time? Because we've done a lot of stuff, and I know you've experimented with things. So what are the things that you've actually been able to kind of add to your uh, your arsenal of technology or even just knowledge over this time? Well, you know, I'm always, I always tout myself as being as creative as I am technically minded. So I like knowing as much of the engineering as I know how to paint the pictures using pixels. So I think one of the things that kind of surprised me is as much as I think technology is wonderful and everything, nothing, nothing replaces in-person communication. Yeah. It's so, in fact, I I went on a a shoot last night with some of the local uh, photographers and we were saying the big thing that we're all missing is in-person collaboration because even over Zoom or video conferencing, you can show something to people and they can see it. But to me, as a, you know, I always say an artist, as an editor, I get the most out of watching someone's face when I see something I've edited. So I can see their reaction and see if certain parts of that edit are hitting with those people. Yeah. And that's just missing during this. And it's really hard. Yeah, it definitely makes it it definitely makes it different. And um you know, between the two of us, the, the amount of stuff you've taught me over this time, you know, the stuff that we make uh, basically from my house to your house as we kind of directly pipe it to each other has been a learning experience for me, even as far as, you know, getting things lit properly and, and getting camera settings right and stuff like that. It's been a uh, it's been for me a minor league adventure compared to what you've done. But is there anything that stands out to you that we have done, whether it's been via the Web or via the, the television show that stands out to you as kind of a singular moment or thing that you want to kind of not hang your hat on but that stands out as being exceptionally cool to you i think it's just you know every time you and i do one of the uh news updates or the live skypes with someone i just think it's really cool i mean we sent one of those encoders to your house and you have a really high quality 4k camera there and the fact that we made essentially the corner of your office look better than most like espn's doing stuff (laughs) from people's house that doesn't look as good as what we're doing yeah no it's and i don't think people realize like we didn't spend a ton of money on it. It's just about putting the right parts and pieces in place. Yeah, and it's about you teaching me how to use these things because otherwise it'd be like a you know an ape with a machine gun. It would be very ugly. There would be no <laughs> there would be no rhyme or reason to it. 
Well, I think you underestimate your abilities because, you know, <laughs> I think that one of the things, and we've said this a bunch uh, over our, our magic phone machine, I am, I am really thankful for getting to know you better and Chris better and Steve better and everybody on our team better during this. And I think it's really cool how much everyone on the production side has stepped up and just said, let's get in the trenches and let's see what we can do. Yeah, to your point, uh, to kind of put a, 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 a period on the conversation, to your point, the, the in-person interaction, the collaboration, like you mentioned, has been uh, obviously lacking severely because of all the circumstances we're under. But uh, we definitely, more so than we probably ever would have, like know each other on a personal level beyond anything. And I think that's really been good because um, – I think we've we all have a, a, a drive to succeed and be good at what we do. But now that we really know each other, we spend so much time talking and doing other things. You really feel committed to making sure everybody succeeds, and that's a cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everybody functions better when I know everyone's strengths and everybody knows my strengths, and then we can all put people in a place to succeed. Rob, thank you very much for your time, and I'm going to continue on with our interviews. He is Rob Hedrick, the Director of Post-Production and Supervising Producer for the National Hot Rod Association. Dude, thank you, and I will be seeing you via Skype probably like two hours from now or something. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Brian. Thanks, man. All right, we have spoken to Rob Hedrick, and now we continue up the food chain of the NHRA broadcasting world to speak with Steve Reinches, who is the Vice President of Broadcasting with the NHRA and a guy who spends a lot of time in the producer chair as well. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. I'm uh, excited to excited to get on the podcast. Here. You've done a great job with this all year long, and uh, hopefully I can a little bit of light on it you know yeah and you know the reason i'm doing this kind of whip around is because i feel like all of us have a little bit of a different view or prison that we look through our own you know kind of way we looked at 2020 and for you um really presented with challenges that the rest of us didn't have to look at with logistics and staffing and all this crazy stuff that had to happen to make these shows kind of work so i guess looking back over 2020 if you can pick out a few of the things that stand out to you not necessarily racing moments maybe there are but i would say on the uh, on the side of actually getting this getting this program made pretty incredible it was and you know the one thing that that was the biggest challenge was the fluidity of everything and i'm I'm sure you know you've heard that that word from multiple people but from from how many drastic changes we had you know even just the schedule the basic you know logistics of what we were trying to do from march on uh was significant and i think that puts a a pretty um, you know, challenging burden on on everyone. So, you know, the one thing that kind of stuck out to me with everyone that we dealt with was just the pure professionalism that everyone approached it with. I mean, when you look at how many different, and you know this, Brian, from from obviously you know being an integral part of the broadcast compound, but when you when you know that we have you know forty five, fifty, up to sixty people in that compound, and they all come from you know, different walks of life. Um, it's, you know, everyone was able to just kind of put, you know, everything they were dealing with aside and really, you know, go for the greater good as it went for the television production and just the pure professionalism that everyone showed with that was pretty remarkable. And not only, you know, for our, our teammates that, that, you know, were incredible all year long, but, you know, you, that can be extended to all of our vendors that support the TV side, and um, 
and you know that was that was pretty magical to see honestly yeah it was and and you know when we first went back to racing at indy obviously we had a lot of protocols in place protocols that that stuck with us through the rest of the year and actually moved around a little bit depending on where we were there were some places we had to do things even a little bit differently than um than we had planned to start with at indy and we made those changes and it was a really interesting thing like that first race when i remember reading the document and it's like you know, for the folks that are actually inside the TV compound, you know, kind of you're going to be arriving on a schedule, you're going to be going to your assigned location, staying there and then leaving. And it's kind of like, how's this going to work? And honestly, by the end of the first weekend, everybody adapted to it. It was wild. Absolutely. And I think, you know, people in our industry, you know, tend to roll with the punches. I mean, we're, we're in an environment in live television where you're kind of shifting on a dime in every scenario. But it was, it was, I mean, to your point, it was incredible to see everybody come together to you know, to what were some very useful and significant uh, safety guidelines. But, but you know, it was clear pretty early on that people, um, you know, obviously worried for their own safety, but more importantly, were really, really um, cognizant and aware of their teammates' safety. And we saw that in the TV compound. I mean, gosh, I don't know that we had, you know, any real concerns or issues with, with um, how people handled themselves from a safety perspective. And again, it comes back to professionalism and, and people looking after each other on our squad. In his, in his, um, how should I say, in his layman's terms, a way you can describe it. Let's go to, to Sunday at the U.S. Nationals, where I think all of us lived five years over the course of a single day. Um, it stands out to me because of a really amazing collaborative effort between NHRA and Fox and everything that happened. So can you take us into the TV truck to some degree on that? Because we were... Obviously, there was weather, there was crashing, we were behind schedule, where we're going to view this show. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think that the kind of the unique behind-the-scenes scenario is how much communication is going on in real time, not only with, um, you know, our broadcast partners at Fox, which, you know, Pete Richards, coordinating producer for Fox, who, who, who lives and breathes it every day with us in the truck, was really instrumental in in navigating the logistics from the Fox Sports side because, you know, you're we're we're, we're in the show thinking that we're going to be on live, you know, for for really five hours max if you factor in the FS1 show and then the the live Fox broadcast. But but any time that you go over your broadcast window and and that day we went over significantly. Um, there are a lot of logistics and planning involved um, for Fox Sports to actually stay with us in a live environment. And really kudos to Pete and, and how he was able to lo- navigate the logistics with, um, you know, our partners at Fox Sports and, you know, led by Bill Wanger and his group. But we, um, it was extraordinary that Fox went to the lengths they did to, um, you know, to to navigate and move stuff around. So that was one aspect of it. Um and obviously, you know, we're, we're all great partners and, and, you know, anyone that's on live TV um, and, and producing an event live, that's kind of the standard. So um, really just great communication there on that front. But the other part of it is we have pretty in-depth conversation with Racing Administration and Josh Peterson and his group and Evan Jonat, who runs the, the live event marketing side and the live and venue presentation. There's a lot of communication and collaboration that's going on there just so that we have a framework of how how we can uh, you know can continue how much downtime is left on the track you know how long until they think the track is going to be dry and ready to go 
um, all that kind of kind of blends into what we're doing. And, and I thought, you know, we had a, a pretty extraordinary set of circumstances to deal with and the communication involved in that and, and allowing us to make it happen and go smoothly was pretty incredible. Yeah, it really was. It was uh, it was an amazing day, and it's like, all right, we're going to come back and show Comp Eliminator. It's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it, was, it was awesome. Yeah, and I think we've I think you've seen that transition now more than ever. Just you know, we are, you know, this organization is 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 made up of you know participants far and wide, and I think we're you know we're trying to get into the the mindset of of. Um, you know, displaying every, you know, every category that shows up at a national event and, and when the, you know, time and place allows and when there are opportunities to do that. Um, I think, you know, that's the beauty of our sport is being able to show it off. And I think that was a great opportunity for us to be able to do it and show many, many categories on track. Yeah. And one last point I'd, uh, I'd like to kind of pick your brain on or, or get some impressions on obviously that we had, you know, major league swings in news this year. We had, uh, you know, incredible news in both directions, whether it was the kind of downer of John Force Racing not coming back out again, uh, then all of a sudden it's Coke, then all of a sudden it's Camping World, and oh, by the way, in the middle, how about uh, a new television contract with our partners at Fox? And obviously this is a project that you have a, a big interest and a vested interest, and it's a part of your life to go through that kind of contracting process um i guess i just want to talk to you about the the kind of outlook you have for the future regarding the new contract and really um your impressions on getting that done and what was arguably the most insane year to negotiate let uh, the price of a new hyundai let alone let, let alone a television contract yeah and i think it shows the value of our partnership with fox you know they were we had um you know, we had developed a very uh, strong relationship over the past five years, um, you know, dating back to, to 2016. And, um, you know, again, I think it just comes down to one, you know, both parties understanding and realizing the value of the sport and what has been built um, over the history of our organization. And the second part is just, you know, the willingness of, um, you know them understanding the value of uh, of of our organization from from allowing multiple broadcasts to take place on the Fox Broadcast Network. Yeah, I mean, I think that that alone just speaks to the um, significance of our sport, and for us to you know it, double the amount of uh, shows that are going to be on the Fox Broadcast Network, and all that really you know in in a nutshell that translates to to a lot more eyeballs on the sport. You know, that's a, that's a, a network that is not cable. Um, if, you know, if you have an, as you know, if you have an antenna and you, you know, the old school rabbit ears and you throw it into the back of your TV, you're going to get NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox. Um, so the, the, you know, the, the scope of who can watch it is, is increased dramatically. And we've seen that and historically with our, you know, our household viewership that our Fox shows do really well. So, you know, the ability to have more eyeballs see this extraordinary sport is um, is pretty cool. And I think that was, in the end, um, you know, that's something that I don't think we were going to get in, in any other network by any means. So that was a, that was a big part of it. And and obviously, you know, them having the desire to uh, to really, you know, work with us over, you know, into the 
the middle of the decade is pretty impressive as well. Yeah, it's great. And obviously that was a big factor in the Camping World deal coming together. So it all uh, it all worked out to a, to a great uh, kind of conclusion, if you will. So, man, I want to thank you. I want to wish you and your family uh, happy holidays. And I'm going to continue my romp through our television staff here and uh, keeping picking people's brains about what they're going to rem- remember about 2020. Well, thank you, Brian. And we appreciate everything you've done. Um, here for us i mean it's been an extraordinary year and, and it's been led by people like you to, to to make this seamless and make it happen and hey we haven't missed a beat on the production side this has been wild what you guys have been able to do in the uh in the downtime in the off season so kudos and thanks to you for that thanks man appreciate it steve and again uh, happy holidays to you and your family thank you likewise you too All right, so our next guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider, we're going into the pits with one of our pit and top end reporters. She is Amanda Busick. Amanda, how you doing? Hey, Brian. I think I'm like everyone else. I'm just battling the the humans as we get ready for Christmas. <laughs> it is hand-to-hand combat out there. No, no doubt about it. <laughs> so, you know, catching up with everybody, I've talked to Steve Reinches, I've talked to Rob Hedrick, now I'm talking Aww. to you. And, um, you know, that's a simple question, which is what are the things or thing or overriding things that you come away from 2020 with? And what are some of the memories that stick out most for you? Wow. Following Steve and Rob, I can't even imagine uh, the battles. (laughs) When we talk about human battles, I can't imagine what uh, they went through this year. But, oh, man, for me, I think the, the biggest takeaway is we did it. And uh, I look back on Championship Sunday when we were able to hand out four of the new Camping World Championship trophies and uh, the idea in May that uh, we would have crowned champions in Vegas, I would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> I think we all would have. I mean, it was a it was a pretty amazing thing. And I used the analogy when we were both talking to Joe and it was like, it felt like Indiana Jones trying to run, run away from the big rock and the rock kept getting seemingly a little bit closer to us each week. Well, I was afraid that, you know, what was this season going to become? And 20 years from now, were we going to look back on it and be like, oh, those were the the pandemic champions or those were the COVID champions. These were valid champions. And the idea that all of the championships and all of our major classes and even the ex- exhibition classes, for the most part, came down to Vegas the last race of the year when, you know, it was a points chase. Uh, that's exciting for the fan and for us alike. Yeah, it was a testament, I think, to everybody, you know, uh, binding together, kind of doing what it took to get the season finished. Uh, Obviously, it was adverse circumstances for, like, everybody. Um, (laughs) You know, talk a little bit about, I I guess, talk a little bit about your perspective on not necessarily that particular Sunday, but I guess the Sundays you were at the racetrack, once we got the season going again, it did seem to have a different, like, a different feel from the competitors than we normally get. There was a lot of thankfulness, really, from July all the way to the end. Oh, I think you just took the word I was going to use. There was from the from the drivers to our coworkers to the fans that you would see in the pits. Everyone was just grateful. It was in a year that that was so difficult. I, I think to be able to provide entertainment for other people and you know to get us out from you know the house and back on the road. I'm grateful, right? Yeah. So it was just uh, uh, there were several faces, and, and you know when you get in the pits and you're you know walking and in, into the booth in front of the tower, there are fans that we get to see at every stop along the way, and it was just a reminder of like, oh Wilfred, great to see you in Houston again, yeah. like and you know it was it's just so awesome that um, you know our fans really showed out, the drivers showed out. 
Um, and then, as you know, from a production standpoint, uh, you know, our our group getting together and and uh, crushing this the the COVID policies and procedures that needed to be in place for this to happen. Uh, yeah, grateful and thankful are definitely the words, Brian. Your job. You know, you um, specifically, you, Jamie and Bruno, you know, you guys had to adapt to a strange situation in the fact that (laughs) you could not see anybody's lips moving. Um, And I I know for me, from when we started back up in July to when we finished, my level of being comfortable in terms of just how things were operating was way better. How did you adapt to that? Because it's a strange thing, but it's a real thing when you actually can't see someone's mouth and the environment we work in, which is loud. It's weird. Oh, and, you know, it's there's a lot of nonverbal cues that people give you as well, right? Whether, you know, someone's uh, lip quivers or whether someone yeah. um, might be hiding um, some emotion underneath their mask. You know, those are things that we can kind of pick up on to kind of, you know, a driver can be saying one thing but feel somewhere different. And a lot of times those nonverbal cues kind of help us kind of aim in on, on maybe where we could potentially go with a second question or where to take um, the the answer forward. But I know there was a point uh, in the beginning where I was looking for clear mask uh, just because <laughs> there's so much that you share in between people that you know, aren't necessarily just words. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of times that I use, and I'm sure the drivers will could could, uh, could uh, respond to this. There's a lot of times that I even use my facial expressions um, to make people comfortable or try to um, keep them focused. Or I mean, you just come off a track going 300 miles an hour. There's a lot of things going through someone's yeah. mind. So. Uh, yeah, no, it was uh, definitely a challenge, the distance. Uh, I know there were several races that, uh, you know, we had to work on some different audio stuff and, uh, you know, thankful for the fans and the the viewers to, to patiently uh, wait it out with us while we figured it out. But we got in a groove and I, I think by those last four or five races, uh, we had it nailed down. Three specific things I'd like to get your kind of memory bank takes on, and two of them from the same race, one of them from the race before. So the first one would be Doug Gordon wrapping up the championship at the top end, a place that he actually didn't want to be at because he wasn't sure what was going to happen down there. And then the other two would be uh, Angie and Erica on Sunday in Vegas. These are three pretty emotionally charged moments down there. Yeah, so the Doug Gordon one's actually pretty funny. So I had... uh that was when Aaron Stanfield was, uh, he wrapped up his factory stock championship and then Doug Gordon and his team are just standing there and, um, Aaron was running or something. I'm like, Oh guys, he's already, cause Doug had mentioned, he said, Hey, I, we're here to watch a championship. And I'm like, Oh, well, you know, Aaron's has already happened, but that's you really cool that you guys came up here. And he was like, no mine. And we were like, what? So I hit Todd Minnie, who, you know, is, is really good friends with Doug Gordon. I'd, talked to Todd in my talk back I was like hey do you know that Doug Gordon could clinch a championship right now and he was like wait what hold on and it's not that this is not by any means that there's just you know we get communication from uh racing operations and uh there's so much stuff happening with all these championships and points down to the last you know bonus point so to see Doug standing up there uh and what had to happen Sean Bellamere I uh, had to lose uh, or go out on his yes. run, and believe it or not, and you, I know you remember this, you were watching from the tower, uh, the car didn't even make it down the track. Yep, didn't and start, yeah. Doug and his family, they just are hugging at the top end. We're rolling out uh, the championship 
uh, stands and the trophy. We were like, we weren't even ready for it. And just to put that moment together for him in the moment, uh, that was really cool. And, and, and to have his daughter standing by, we had done a segment, uh, on them earlier in the year in one of the Lucas oil shows to, yeah. to have them uh, and his wife on hand to, to watch him clinch that championship. Uh, I mean, watching anyone clinch a championship, uh, these are, you know, the joys of, of the job. Uh, if you if you leave Vegas or leave leave a championship Sunday uh, not happy, then, you know, it's time to check in on yourself. Yeah, that's a fact. And uh, the last two I'd like you to talk about, Angie, this is on the same day, of course, Angie Smith winning yeah. in Pro Stock Motorcycle and the moment that Erica clinched the championship, which you want to talk about a surprise, even beyond Sean Bellamore's car not starting, it was the largest shocker of the entire year, I think, when Christian Quadra bumped off Jason Line in the first round. Yeah, and it's so interesting because you never know how the championships are going to fall, but I did not see pro stock happening in round one. Uh, it, You know, Jed going out against, I believe it was Aaron Stanfield, again, taking yes. down uh, taking down Jed, and then uh, Erica staying up there to watch uh, that run with Jason Lon and, and Quadra. I mean, I think you, you can see it in, in the uh, highlights from that race and the replays. She just doubles over yeah. in shock. And to witness, I mean, we all felt that way. Um, and it's funny because without hesitation, uh, you know, we have to run to uh, the championship presentation. She's still doubled over, like trying to yeah. take in the moment. Me and Glenn <laughs> Cromwell are trying to get the trophy ready and just uh, take, like, did this really happen that way? And, you know, it's some of these classes, they seem so predictable of how it's going to unfold. And while I did think that, that Erica had a great chance at, at winning the championship on Sunday, I did not see it happen happening that way. And uh, for us to be surprised and shocked as well, it, it's it's cool to cool to experience that alongside with her. And then with Angie winning, um, oh, you know, it's almost like Pro Stock Motorcycle at the finals last year yeah. when Gianna won. Uh, granted, the who all she rode against to to get that Wally, but uh, if you would have and nothing against. Angie's talent or her bike performance if you would have told me on Sunday that that Angie was gonna win that race I don't know if I would have picked that I mean Matt was riding really strong all the Harleys were riding really strong and uh, for her to get that alongside the day that her husband wins the championship alongside when Erica wins the race as well as the championship that was something that she had wanted to do for a long time and to see both of those women in the in the winner's circle that's pretty cool yeah it was uh it was an absolutely amazing day well amanda thank you so much for taking some time out of your battle against the humanoids out there as you <laughs> get your spread your christmas cheer and uh look forward to seeing you as soon as possible when we get next season started and uh, have a merry christmas and uh, happy new year hey merry christmas and happy new year to you guys too thanks amanda All right, after a great conversation with Amanda Busick, we move into the TV truck once again. We're going to catch up with Pete Richards, who is the coordinating producer for the NHRA on Fox. Pete, how you doing? Hey, Brian. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Doing really well, man. We're doing this uh, kind of whip around here and catching up with pretty much everybody that uh, is involved on a, on a frontline type of basis with the, the production. And, you know, I wanted to catch up with you, Pete, because um, your perspective is interesting. You're inside the TV truck kind of working over the course of the year. Some of us are in the booth. Some of us are in the pits. But let's talk a little bit about um, really how this whole thing kind of came off, because it was a pretty wild thing to be able to get these races done and on the air. 
Well, it was. And I'll tell you, I've been in the TV business for a long time, and this is the end of my second season working with the NHRA, NHRA on Fox. Um, and it was a little surreal when we went back to racing because I think for, for many months uh, there was so much uncertainty. Will we be able to go back to the racetrack? Will we be able to have uh, fans in the stands? Will we be able to produce our shows the way we're used to producing them? And uh, I think for me personally, it was pretty rewarding. Um, you know, we were back in Indianapolis in July. And uh, since the last time we were all together, which was in Phoenix, I know some of us were on our way to Gainesville back in March and uh, got the call to uh, either turn around and go home or as soon as he touched ground in Florida, get back on the plane and head back home. But uh, the fact that we were able to come back together in July and, and do some shows and even though things were very different and we didn't have as many people as we maybe normally would have, I think we were able to do the shows that for our fans. And we have had a lot of viewers, and I think a lot of them wouldn't be able to tell that we had a lot of challenges to overcome because at the end of the day, the shows look like the shows that they're used to seeing. And that's that was the goal, and hopefully we pulled it off. One of the things that can complicate your life is weather. And because you work really as a, a lot of a, as a almost a live action liaison between our production and between the networks. And we basically for the first, um, well, basically almost every race when we came back, we had weather interruptions of some sort that must have kept your hands full. Oh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I'm trying to think of the, uh, the polite way of saying this. It's um, it's so uncertain. And you're right. Every single race we had, I think maybe except for one or two, we had some sort of weather issue. Uh, we had a day in St. Louis where it was about 40 degrees. And if you looked at the radar, it wasn't raining, but it was misty and it was cold and there was no traction. And we sat and we waited and we waited and we waited. And I think finally about seven o'clock, we were able to do a qualifying show. Yeah. And was it the most exciting competition in the world? Not at all. It was probably one of the worst <laughs> sessions I've ever seen. But, you know, we were rewarded. But my job does focus on, uh, among other things, the integration from live event to live event. And we had some races where we're supposed to be off the air at a certain time. And there are other events that are behind us on the network. And sometimes, uh, you know, depending on what it is, if it's a, a live, another live event, we may have to be moved to a different network. If we're on the broadcast network and they have other things that are committed, we may get moved. Sometimes there's some negotiation that happens. Like, hey, I think we can run the finals at such and such a time. If we can run the finals here and start at 3.45, we might be done by 4 o'clock. Yeah. And sometimes 4 o'clock becomes 4.15, becomes 4.30. It's very stressful. And I personally feel an obligation, of course, to the network because that's what I work for. But I also feel an obligation to my teammates who are producing the show. We've been waiting around all day. And to our viewers, who we want to reward them. If they've stuck with us through two hours of rain delay, yeah. you want them to have some satisfaction and not to have to find us on another network. So there are many different pressures that converge, and uh, and hopefully we do the right thing for as many people as possible. Now, obviously, nobody's going to be happy all the time, but uh, that is one of the, the, the more difficult things. We had a, a race at one point that, I thought for sure, I can't remember which one it was because we had so many that were affected by rain. It, I thought we had a drop dead time. If we're not done with our show by this such and such a time, we're going to get bumped to the app for a while. And then we're going to go to another network. And that's just so 
frustrating. And then I remember hearing the conversation between some of the other production executives in my ear, and somebody said, well, maybe we'll just stay with Drag Race until we're done. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I couldn't <laughs> wait to tell. I mean, Steve Branches, who's our producer, sits right in front of me in the TV truck, and he's producing the show. And I literally could not wait to get his attention and say, we get to stay. We get to finish the show on the big network. So it's, it's uh, nerve-wracking, and it's exciting, and, and sometimes frustrating, but it can also be very rewarding. Yeah, it's uh, it was like like we talk about kind of an emotional sine wave, uh, especially the U.S. Nationals on Sunday was that way when it was just one thing after another where it was like we had rain, they got it dry, and then we came back and there was a crash and there was another crash and it's like oh for the love of God please just let this <laughs> let this find itself find a little bit of momentum. Um, you know if there's one last point to if there's one last point or something to touch on here, I would say that there was always a question when we came back in July among mostly among the racers, I guess some of the fans, but there was this question of whether or not these champions would be considered kind of legitimate champions. And I have not heard a talk of an asterisk since probably September. Uh, I don't think anybody has even touched on that. You know, having been involved in these races and watched them firsthand, what's your take on that? I mean, look, it, it it's a legitimate championship. There were 11 races. There was no, there was no points, uh, there's no showdown or yeah. no countdown. I yeah. mean, at the end of the thing, uh, it's a legitimate championship. I mean, it, and it's the same number of races available to everybody who competes. Yeah. And it wasn't like we got to round 10 and they were like, hey, guess what, folks? There's only one more race. That wasn't the case at all. Yeah. From the time we resumed, everyone knew what the situation was. Everybody had to go out there and beat everybody else on their best day. And when we got to the final Sunday in Las Vegas and every single category was still up for grabs and the ones that we thought were going to be a slam dunk maybe some of them were we had drama in places that we didn't expect it we had winners crying we had losers crying we had jubilation we lit- I mean I, I think I'm, I'm an older guy Brian I think back to the old world wide world of sports yes. open yep. where we talk about the human drama of athletic competition my god we had that all day long and for, for I know you're a lot like me that you care deeply about the product and you feel it though. You're not just a guy that's calling a drag race and then going on to do something else the next week. This is your life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. aside from your family, of course. So, so all of us involved in our TV production put everything into it and to have that culmination and that climax and, and, and the payoff was so great. I think nobody could say it wasn't legitimate. I mean, would we have liked to have had 24 races of course can i wait for 2021 where hopefully we get a lot closer to a full schedule absolutely but for what it was and for where we were in march and april with the the disease and our country and just the uncertainty in every aspect to have a payoff and to have champions crowned and those big wallies those great new camping world championship trophies given out it was it was really satisfying and a great thing Amen to that, man. Amen to that. Pete, thank you very much for taking some time today. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy New Year, and uh, hopefully we see each other sooner rather than later. You got it, brother. Same to you. Can't wait to see you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, we move from the TV truck to a guy who spent some of his time in the TV truck but was forced to spend time in the booth. Lo and behold, with both Tony Pedregon and I, he is NHRA on Fox pit producer Todd Venny. Todd, how you doing? 
Good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing really well. And uh, because you are part of the traveling circus or on the inside of this thing looking out, I wanted to catch up with you as well. And, you know, we talked to um, talked to Pete just a couple of minutes ago, and he had some interesting perspective on, you know, like rain delays and dealing with the network and stuff like that. But I want to go more kind of racer-centric with you. Give me something that stuck out for you in 2020 as kind of a poignant racer moment. Well, you know, it was, I mean, obviously it was a year like none other. It sucked for everyone. Um, we didn't have the best points battles in the fuel classes right right down to the yeah. end. But I was glad to see an alcohol funny car, always my favorite class. I was glad to see Doug Gordon win the whole deal, win the big one, you know, win Indy. And that, that meant a lot. They deserved it. You know, Shane Rushfield, I always thought, deserved it. And, and he got one. And Bellamere, obviously, was good for a really long time before he won one and then he won another. And it's like, you know, Gordon is the next one out there. Love to see him just one time, you know, just one time. And then with all those runner-ups he had, it just been so frustrating. They run as good as anyone. And that was, to me, that was a real highlight was to see that happen this year. So what I think is cool about this is Amanda talked about this from her perspective at the top end of the racetrack. She was actually standing there with Doug. Now, I was standing there with you in the booth as we kind of watched this scene unfold. So I'd like to hear your – I want to hear your retelling of it because obviously we got it from one end of the racetrack, and now I want to hear it from, from our end at the starting line. Well, you know, I mean, for – for I really thought when they won Indy, I'm like, you know – because because Delamere lost in the first round, and I think it's a consensus he's been the best driver for yeah. years, and he even loses even loses on a slight hole shot, and he had a good light like a forty light. It just and then Doug goes on and, and wins the whole race, the U.S. Nationals, and I he lost like God, I, I mean ten. It was ten. It yeah, it was like ten. Was ten. Yeah, you know, and and he's in the final against Haug, who who always runs good, and he just cut a good light. You know, ran like five forty-eight or forty-seven or something, just some good run, and he finally wins it. And you're like, man, he has got it. And then he goes to to Dallas after finally breaking this jinx, and he beats Bellamere straight up. You know, left on him and outran him. And I'm like, man, this is really his year. Yeah. And then you get to Houston, he's just about got it, and he's made at least I think he was in the semis minimum of every race all yeah. year, and, and he loses in the first round. And I'm like, oh my god, here, here it comes, the poor guy, you know. And I, I, I mean, I love Bellamere too, but he's he's got his, you know. So, and and I'm like, here it comes, and and then uh, you know, Bellamere sailing right along, and then the car doesn't start. You know, you're sitting there. It was weird because I was only in the tower, you know, not that many times with you and Tony. And you can see right down there, right? I'm not looking at different at any cameras. I'm, I'm I can see it myself out the window. I'm like, is, is that car not start? What are they doing? And then they're scrambling around. You're like, oh my god, maybe. And then it happened. And you know, to be honest, I it I had a tear in my eye. It was so neat. And then when Doug started talking down there, you know, uh, to Amanda, great. it was just it really was. It was really great to see a, a whole family. You know, the thing with his two girls. You know, it's not just like his two girls go to the races with him. It's not even like they clean the body or something. I mean, they literally, they can torque the heads on these cars. These two two teenage girls, Maddie and Macy, it's incredible. And and they never went to all the races with their dad before. And they went, and Doug's wife was there. She doesn't usually go. And the girls were at all the races. And, 
Mike and Cheryl were there and it just was, it just was, it was awesome. You know, it's like, this is what I love about drag race. You see people work that hard for that long, you know, and in the end they get what they wanted. And just to put a point, uh, a period on this story, uh, in a, uh, let's say censored way, tell everybody what you were yelling at Amanda through your headset at the top end as you were watching Bella Muir's car. Uh, I don't think I can say those words. <laughs> you were begging her in your own uh, colorful way not to tell him anything and not to get his hopes yep. up that the car wasn't starting. And we we're all like, yep. it was great. Just don't say anything yep. to him. Don't say anything to him. Yep. Yeah. But he knew I, yeah. I talked to him that night. He, I, I guess he knew and it was really neat to watch it all play out. Yeah, it really was. It uh, it was something, uh, you know. It, there were bright, bright spots, of course, throughout the whole season, but that was a particularly uh, particularly bright spot, just because for for what you said, <clears throat> the amount of effort, the amount of frustration they've had, and the fact that it finally broke their way in the end. You know, these are people that suffered just bizarre bad luck over the years, and they finally got the worm to turn for them, and and a uh, really a critical moment for what they needed. So that was a good one, man. I guess if I can if I can itch up on just one more thing. If we look back on, if we look back over the course of the year, when we walked back into the racetrack in July, how long did you think we would actually race for? Because I'm not sure I was 100% confident we would end up in November. I wasn't 100% confident we'd have another race past July. I know what we had planned, but I didn't know what was going to happen. I, you know, I thought the same thing. You know, I live here in Indy. I mean, so close to the track, I guess it's six miles as the crow flies. I think it's like four miles. You can hear people test in normal years people test all summer you can hear cars testing yeah. from inside the house with the windows down you know you can it's that close so to just hop in my car and go out there that first morning it wasn't even like a national event right it was weird and it, and it was it had already been longer enough long enough since since march which is funny because this whole thing when this whole thing started you were the one that i was with right yep yeah i mean you are the one when I'm looking at, you know, when my, my phone comes back on, when I land in Orlando, you're like, okay, uh, it's already canceled. Meet me at the bar. And, you know, hilarity ensued. That was a fun day. But it, it was it was longer than, you know, than a, than a normal off season would be, Pomona to Pomona. And it just, it was strange. And I thought, well, at least, you know, at least this is something. Maybe this is all we'll have. At least I'm going to get to see one race this year. You know, I yeah. miss doing my job. I miss seeing people. Of course, it was completely different for everyone but it was least you know when they fired the cars up you know at at least for that short time it's like you're still doing your job you know your things are back yeah you know the minute you leave the the tv truck or in in this case when i was with you in the in the booth and walk out into the pits or to your car it's you know it's not the same it wasn't the same but it was it was great just to see you know top fuel dragsters bombing down the track and you know, it, it was great to see it again. I love drag racing. I always have. I missed it big time. I miss it now. I wish the season was starting, you know, right now. Yeah, you and me both. Well, hey, man, thanks for taking some time this afternoon, and uh, appreciate it. Going to continue on with uh, working on my way through the uh, the phone book of NHRA and Fox folks for this podcast, but I appreciate the time, Todd. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you, Brian. Same to you, friend. So we continue on with our conversations here among the team from the NHRA and Fox broadcast. We go to another of our ace reporters. This time it's Jamie Howe. Jamie, how you doing? 
I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So I wanted to talk to you because catching up with everybody and uh, obviously the job that you have, like when I talked to Amanda, was um, absolutely impacted by the year, the changes, the face masks, all the stuff. And like everybody else, I'm going to ask you, give me a standout memory, a standout weekend, something that uh, will stick with you for a while from 2020. Oh, um, I mean, there are a couple, but I think definitely something that I will never forget um, was Leah's accident in St. Louis and being at the top end when that happened um, and having to rush down to where she was and the slew of people that came out. Nobody knew you know, what condition she was in. It was it was just something that was so breathtaking. Nobody really had any words. It was I mean, there was so much damage, but it was also so quiet after it happened. It was very freaky. And honestly, that entire race, especially on Sunday, um, you were kind of on the front line of more carnage than any of us had seen in years. It was almost like every 10, 15 minutes you were interviewing somebody that had gone through some sort of horribly traumatic experience. It was definitely um, the first time, um, this was my ninth year in some capacity with NHRA, and it was the first time in a safety safari worker at the top end said, I don't like this. Um, there was just weird conditions. Nothing had the right flow to it. Nothing felt right. Um, and like you said, it, it just it was one thing after another, after another, after another, and, and it, was, it was just one of the days that you could not predict. No, and even like the qualifying show when when uh, Pete mentioned uh, the qualifying show during his interview and and we were pushed way back for rain and everything else and then Tony Schumacher comes out and goes right down the racetrack and we're all like this is going to be awesome and then literally no other cars actually made a complete pass even close to it. No, they never nobody went down. Yeah, it was <laughs> so like went into race day we didn't know who had what. Yeah, it was totally uh and utterly insane. One of the things the other things that kind of was interesting to all of us was once we actually came back to racing in July, um, no one really knew if we were going to make it to November. No one knew kind of when the season would end. And also when we got back to racing in July, all these new regulations were, were in place for everybody's, you know, the safety of everybody. Talk to me a little bit about that because that first race back for everybody was kind of like feeling our way around a dark room. It was, it was very weird. Um, the feeling in the pits um, was also different than before because I think over the, the few months that everything was shut down and we didn't race, people really took stock of what it is that we get to do. Um, and so on a whole, people were, I don't want to say friendlier because we have such a friendly environment anyway, but um, more personable maybe, you know, you know, how are you? How's your family? What did you guys do? Um, just more personable in that regard and not seeming to take things for granted. Everybody was just so excited to actually be at the racetrack. Um, but the new regulations were very weird too, because you hadn't seen these people in months and, you know, people want to give hugs and high fives and shake hands. And we're like, well, this is like a weird 2020 thing. Like, I don't know if I can actually shake your hand or touch your elbow. Or I don't, I really be six feet away from you. And, um, so it was just a very strange kind of environment. Um, plus the math, and, you know, at that point, it was such a new thing and nobody was used to it. And it's weird not being able to see people's faces. And these are pe people that you've, you know, seen full faced for so long. And it was just, it was, everything was just really weird. Um, but then trying to do interviews, it was the first time that we were doing interviews with a second microphone and the boom mic. And, you know, for, for me being down in the staging lanes and in the pits and at the top end and you go in to do an interview and then this microphone comes out of nowhere, you just kind of... <laughs> 
the surprise on, on all the drivers and crew chief's faces because it's just so different. Um, but it's cool to think back to that, that that was just in July. And then you look at where we ended up the season and it was just the new normal. And, you know, we all kind of got through it together and we navigated to the best possible way of doing it. Um, and by the end of it, it, we were just doing other shows and it just, it all made sense. But that first weekend back was definitely strange. <laughs> and your perspective is interesting too, because you're involved in motorsports outside of the NHRA. You're involved with the Moto America series and we're uh, reporting with them uh, for the majority, if not almost all of their entire season. I guess if there, uh, if there's any compare and contrast between those two experiences, uh, talk a little bit about that. Oh, um, well, all of the Moto America races um, are all road courses. And so it's, everything's a little bit more spread out. Yeah. So people are naturally further apart. Um, plus their equipment is so much smaller. So, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just completely different environment. Um, but the, the thing that we do have um, in NHRA is, is the pits and like the big awnings and the big open air environments. Whereas on the road racing Moto America side, they use a lot of garages. And so, you know, it's actually more difficult in these new standards to get information because you can't go into somebody's space like like we're able to do um, in drag racing. So it was just, it's all very different. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to go back and forth between the two series and stay all on, in the Fox family, but um, they're very different. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting environment, and especially when you get to see, um, you know, when you get to see things from a different perspective, different series, different style of competition, and um, it was just for everybody, and obviously every aspect of our lives is a little bit different. So, um, looking forward to uh, to 2021. I guess uh, if you have one thing that you'd love to see when we go back to the racetrack in March, what is the one thing you would like to see more of? Uh, that came out of 2020. Is it the the attitude, the appreciation, the kind of um, I guess all for one, one for all thing, or, or is there anything else that you'd like to see that was actually good about 2020 to carry into 21? I mean, I think from the, off of what you just said, the attitude is, is certainly something that would be nice to carry forward. I mean, we are all so fortunate to be able to do what we do. And I mean, that's from the, the teams down to us and, you know, we travel the country and put on a show. Like it, yeah. it doesn't yeah. really get any better than that. It's all, it's all entertaining. Um, and a lot of times, because it is still a job and a career and the stress and the travel and everything gets to people throughout the season, but in 2020, it, it didn't seem to have the same effect on everyone just yeah. because nobody wanted to take those opportunities for granted. And if we do get back to some sort of normalcy next year or the year after or whenever, the attitude of not taking it for granted and, and, and just being friendly and being present, you know, I would love to see that going forward. But I mean, another big thing that I think came out of this year was that every single round mattered. And it yeah. was, that was going to be the case going into the year anyway, but it was just magnified after COVID happened um, to where every qualifying pass mattered, every round of racing mattered. And we didn't know how many races were going to be, were going to be run. So it was, you know, we have to win now. We have to win now. And I would love to see that mentality continue also yeah. just because it makes the show better for everyone. There's no, there's no, we're testing this or we're working on that and we'll get it together in the next six races. You don't have those six races. So I would love to see that continue. Yeah. The intensity level was absolutely off the charts throughout the entire season, especially when we got back in July, just for the simple fact, as you said, 
it was almost a musical chairs game, and you didn't know when the music was going to stop, and uh, all these contenders wanted to be on top when the moment came. But thankfully, we got it finished in Vegas, and it ended up being um, certainly one of the most memorable years for good and bad news, which came as like a roller coaster, where it's like, oh, this is awful news. Hey, we got great news. Oh, more awful news. It was <laughs> We at least ended on a high note with a new series uh, sponsor in Camping World and a new television deal with Fox. So all's well that ends well. And that was another interesting thing, though, when – you know, halfway through the season, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, we don't have our title sponsor anymore. And that was just like <laughs> another thing thrown, thrown at everybody. And because we were on this new mentality of we're a team and we're going to make this work, everybody just really made it work. <laughs> It, it was astonishing at some level that a lot of people that have uh, differing views on a lot of different things in the sport kind of put it all to the side to make sure that uh, the season got completed. So it was, in that yeah. respect, a very cool thing. Uh, I wish it didn't have to happen, <laughs> but it was a cool thing that it happened that when the way. trips were down. So, Jamie, I wish you yeah. a very uh, Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and thanks for taking some time to chat. Yes, yeah, thank you. You too. Happy And we continue on with our conversations inside the world of NHRA drag racing. You know them, you love them, you listen to them on WFO Radio and, of course, at NHRA Camping World National Events. Joe Costello, how you doing, man? Merry New Year! What's up, Brian? <laughs> I like the enthusiasm, as always. Um, before we go into yeah. this, your enthusiastic tone just reminded me of when you would occasionally perform uh, over-enthusiastic morning guy getting to the racetrack every once in a while. Remember that? Yes, I do. He still exists. I just haven't had to be up. Uh, morning guy is, uh, is my passive-aggressive anger at being up in the morning. It's so good. And uh, it was always fun to walk into the racetrack when you would overly enthusiastically greet people that said hello to you in the morning. It was it was great. If uh, you, well, if you can't beat them, join them, right? That's uh the methodology that's a fact so man um obviously uh talking to everybody that i can here about the 2020 season and uh my first question for you is give me a give me a positive or negative or whatever lasting memory that you're going to carry with you from 2020 um one of these things that you know a moment that when you're asked about this year in 10 years you'll remember it okay i thought about this i put a lot into this i wonder you know for me there are multiple. This was a, a limited season, though. So, and I, what stood out, and I can't help but think about tying together the pre-COVID being at the Gator Nationals. Uh, I was honored to be invited to host the Big Daddy Don Garlic International Drag Racing Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Uh, Big was not there. He lost his brother that week, but just to be part of that. And then we got sent home. But then to return to the Gator Nationals with Steve Torrance and the Capco team running the garlic car that they were going to run originally and seeing garlic out there enthusiastically supporting it and a, a moment that I'll remember being in the tower, looking down on the starting line, seeing Torrance and Big down there just kind of talking. And I grabbed a microphone and I ran downstairs and we didn't have screen at the time. And so it's kind of lost to everyone that didn't get to see it happen live. And I got to do an interview with Big and Steve and actually kind of handed the mic to Steve and let them kind of just talk back and forth between themselves. And then Steve jumps in the car, wins the round, Carlos is there. 
wins the race. Garlic gets to experience a victory yeah. for himself in this catastrophic year. To me, that's my memory. Like that will stay with me forever because I'm still a little kid, Brian. And I still think Big Daddy is a you know a hundred feet tall. And I think of all those things, being a Floridian, thinking of all the things that happened over the years at the Gator Nationals, to tie it all together, being able to do the Hall of Fame, being able to see Garlitz win, being able to see a Garlitz car win, and seeing this 80-some-odd-year-old man jumping around like a small child, super happy, wearing his fire suit. Yeah, he had his fire suit on, yes. (laughs) He, he, He grabbed his fire suit and his helmet just in case. Like Steve had a coronary or something, and they need somebody to jump in the car. Garlitz was the guy. That, that is the memory that just sticks out for me because it's so personal and amazing that we have that in our sport. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it was a, a, a fantastic thing to watch. It made for great theater. It made for great imagery. And certainly uh, any time we have Garlitz at the racetrack beyond just being Don Garlitz, he had a, a kind of weirdly active role in that whole program, and and it wasn't weird. It was just so different. You know, we don't necessarily expect him to be there with a rooting interest, and there he was. And not only with a rooting interest, he every guy in that team says the same thing that like they did not want, to, they would not lose with Don Garlitz in their presence. Like they were not going to lose that race for any reason whatsoever, from Steve right on down. And they delivered the goods. And yeah, you mentioned he had his fire suit and stuff. And when I was calling the race, I said, you know, for reasons known only to Don Garlitz, he's standing down there with his fire jacket on. Yeah. And people like, you don't question big daddy, but you do. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> What's going on with that? And I went back. He was sitting behind Steve's car on the golf cart in the fire suit with his helmet in his lap. And he, I guess he just got so amped up. And when you say, you know, it's not weird, right? But it is a very, like, our sport, this sport, what other sport has something like that? Where, like, uh, you know, I can't even imagine Doc, you know, Dr. Drew goes and suits up and he's sitting on the bench, like, I can't even imagine. There's, there's nothing. We have this amazing sport that is still. I think you said this last week on on our, our final WFO Happy Hour holiday thing that our sport is so young that you still have the legends that are there and can participate and enjoy it with us. someday soon that won't be true. And so, in this crazy COVID year, to be able to have had that, it's like a gift. Yeah, that's uh, that's. I, I feel the same way. You know, I really feel the same way. And you know, the second question I wanted to ask you is the fact that, you know, you and like I do, you talk to um, uh, people across the sport outside of the racetrack, and you know, pretty much everybody I've had on the show so far deals with racers and deals with things inside the gate. Um, but your show, WFO Radio, you spend a lot of time talking to racers between events, or of course during the downtime when we had no events during the off season. You talk to people. And, you know, it's one thing to hear from, you know, Jamie and Amanda and and some of our reporters about how people were acting more thankful inside the gates. And I guess my question for you is over the course of this whole thing, especially during the downtime between March and July, what were the conversations like and how were they different between you and between the racers you were having on WFO radio? How did the how did maybe the attitude change? How did maybe other things change in terms of those conversations? Lots of lessons about humanity coming out of this that maybe 
you know, I, I certainly appreciate and the more time goes by. It's not over yet. We're not out of it just yet, but we're definitely on the way. And I feel optimistic and positive about what I'm seeing with vaccines, et cetera. Um, but, you know, almost the, the stages of grief, seeing everybody kind of go through it, like denial, this is BS, to ultimately accept it, acceptance, okay, uh, you know, I, I am going to wear my mask. I am going to do it so we can keep going. Um, seeing racers who, in my opinion, are some of the, like, of course, the people that work at NASA and SpaceX and in our military, but in the civilian world, the people that I admire the most for their can-do attitude, but also their appreciation of the importance of data and all of that. Like, you know, you wouldn't turn a fuel car based on your emotions. Yeah. Like, what you think about it? What's your feel? Oh, I don't like that, that guy who told me that information. You know, Garlow's personality, I don't like him. So his information is invalid, you know. That doesn't happen or shouldn't happen with racers. And actually watching some of that, you know, now they're dealing with a medical situation. They're totally out of control. Let's face it. This is a sport of control freaks. And they're totally out of control of this situation, which is a health pandemic. They don't have the information. They, and watching some deal with it better than others, some never accepting what is, you know, supposed known reality right now, some changing their minds, realizing, seeing what, what, what happened with Jock, obviously, and, yeah. and others who have kind of gone through the process. I just, that's what I learned about, about uh, our whole, even the smartest people can be stupid sometimes if certain things happen in the right order. And so, like, that's a lesson to me. Like, don't get so stuck in my ways, no matter what they are, no matter how smart I think I am or, or anyone that we're talking about, because something could come down the pike that is going to throw you for such a loop that you're out of your element. And, and that, like dealing with the reality, dealing with the situation, learning the new situation and adapting to it is the thing I've been most impressed by and in some cases disappointed by, uh, because the sooner we adapt to the changing conditions, the sooner we're going to get back to where we want to be, which is racing in front of full crowds and all. So I don't know if I answered your question. I'm pulling a John Force on you. What was your question? Yeah. But no, it was a good answer. To man. me, the, the experience, the experience, like watching these people go through something that is totally out of their element, knowing how good they are at adapting to things that are in their element track conditions, horsepower, a new opponent, a new track, uh, you know, weather condition, etc. Now they're dealing with something that is outside of their comfort zone. How would they handle it? Some did great, moved on, improvised, adapted, overcame, and did it the right way. And others, you know, they were shaking their fist at the moon, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> a fact. And, clouds. Uh, and to, to watch that, that was illuminating to me. And a lesson that I'm going to try to carry with me forever, because you don't know what's coming next. Uh, hopefully this never happens again. But, you know, when the aliens show up, right, Brian? Like, how are we going to handle that? Well, well it's, this is why it's good you're friends with Gar, because he's the guy you want to know when that happens. The thing I most want to talk to him about, honestly. Like, <laughs> I can't, I got to get that in. I got to get the courage. 
there's got to come a time. I'm glad you've leaked this out a little bit. Maybe someone can. It's not leaked. I mean, everybody knows Don is a a, a enthusiastic uh, knower of things or, you know, proponent of things alien. Yes, but he doesn't know that Joe Costello from WFO Radio wants to have a sit down with him and talk about the dossier that I heard about. Okay, like I want to go deep on this one. I want to know about the dossier, big. Better you than me. Hey, Joe, thanks for, thanks for taking some time. And uh, as I mentioned, you should be listening to his show, WFO Radio. It is a, a great weekly tour through the world of NHRA drag racing. And Joe does a great job covering not only the Camping, Camping World Series, but incredible coverage of the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series as well. So, Joe, thanks, man. I know you got a show to make today, too. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's going to be a great one. People who, when they're hearing this, they can go back and find it here, who are big special guest-wise. And uh, I can tell you, I can tell you, because you're in the future now, Brian. Yes. And it's Dominic Lagana. Yeah, huge. Dominic Lagana is going to surprise Alan Reinhardt and myself on the show, and it's going to be his first live appearance on WFO since his incident. We're going to do the ceremonial taking down of the Nitro Ninja that has been on our screen ever since his accident. It's going to be great. Hopefully everyone will enjoy. To all your listeners and all the NHRA fans, have a happy and healthy new year. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, Brian, to you and your family. Thank you for your friendship. It's so much fun being able to go to these events and watch whatever it is that happens. We take a lot out of it, and I thank you so much for including me in this. You bet. Thanks, Joe. Next up here on our conversation episode is Alan Reinhardt. You know him. He's the voice of the NHRA. You have heard him through the entire 2020 season, and you heard him more than normal because he was carrying the majority of these races by himself throughout the end of the year. Alan, has your vocal cord recovered yet? Uh, yeah, I think I'm uh, I think I'm in pretty good shape. I'm not saying <laughs> that I'm uh, ready to go again for eight weeks in a row all by myself, but uh, it, was, it was different, no question about it. I think, you know, you know as well as I do. You get a lot of training from that, from doing big bracket races and some of those other shows that start at 8 o'clock in the morning and sometimes run past midnight. Uh, I was very grateful to be able to help out. I hope I don't have to do it again. Yeah, that's a, I think it's a sentiment we all share. And same question I've asked pretty much everybody, man. What is something from 2020 in the NHRA Camping World Series that you will take with you? When somebody asks you about this season in 10 years, what is the first thing that's going to jump to mind? You know, Brian, in my mind, I think the biggest thing that happened in 2020 is just the changing of the mindset. It had nothing to do with the on-track activity. We you know, could talk for days about that. But I've been around this a long time. And one of the ingrained phrases, I'm telling you, it felt like it was chiseled in stone in the steps of Glendora, was, well, we've never done that before. Yeah. And the fact that that went out the window when it came down to these are the circumstances we have, what can we do to make the best of it? Uh, everything was on the table. And, you know, we've never done that before, was never brought up. The, you know, that's not tradition, was never brought up. The fact that everybody was open-minded, there are a lot of ideas that have been kicked around for years, but always ended up going by the wayside because we've never done that before, or this is the way we've done it for 50 years. And that stuff went out the window. And I think that there's a lot of good that came out of that because we learned that, okay, this is the way we've done it for 50 years. That doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. And history obviously will tell, but I think 20, 30 years from now, people will look back and go, 
geez, we've been doing that for 30 years. Because <laughs> in 2020, somebody said, you know what? We don't have to do it the same way that we did it in 1955. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a point that no one has yet made on the show, and it's a very valid point that um, it, it was – I mean, it, it was it was interesting because I didn't see any decisions like I didn't see any decisions coming out of our management out of panic. Obviously, the decisions were made to be in a conservative and measured way. But when we were faced with situations where we were unfamiliar with what to do, there was never a like you said, there was never a rejection of ideas like everybody was always receptive to listening to what everybody had to say. And they pulled out of that pool and, and did the best thing that we could have out of our, our kind of soup of ideas we came up with. And that's a really cool thing. I think it um, it certainly speaks to kind of where management's heads at. That's for sure. Yeah, and that's exactly how I feel, you know. And again, I've I've been around this a lot longer than you have, and the number of times that there would be an idea brought up. I mean, you know, single day qualifying has been talked about as long as I've been around. You know, and every one of the fans out there knows some of the events are major big events, and some of the events are in smaller venues, smaller markets, smaller car counts. And it's been talked about for years. What if we just did Saturday qualifying and Sunday race? Well, we've never done that before. And that was pretty much always the end of the discussion. But when it came down to this year, we need to cut back expenses for everybody. We need to ease travel for everybody. We need to look at different ways that we can do things. And we've never done that before. Never was uttered in any meeting I was in this year. It was always let's take a little deeper look at that and you know obviously not every idea panned out but the changing of the mindset that you know after 60 plus years or 70 years now of nhra and we've always done it that way maybe there's another way that we can do it going forward and it may not be a permanent change but it may be a deal where going forward we go you know what these four or five events we're going to do xyz and these events we're going to do kind of the traditional format but it really did open the door and open the minds. And I think that includes team owners as well. There were a number of times when you would talk to the Don Schumachers, the Connie Colettas, the John Forces, and they'd go, well, we've never done that, but we, you know, I, don't, I don't like that. We've never done that before. What are our sponsors going to say? And when it came down to, hey, guys, this is the way we're going to get back on track. We're going to get back on television. We're going to get this organization moving again. Everybody said, I'm in. Yeah, you're right. And it is interesting to me, you know, to me, that's that's my kind of um, lasting thing that I'll take away from this is, you know, you know, as well as I do that um, it is impossible to get all these guys in a room and get them to agree on the color of the sky, let alone, you know, uh, major styles of decisions. And it, it was a moment probably hopefully not the only one but certainly the biggest one that I've ever experienced in drag racing where everybody looked each other in the eye and everybody said well we don't really like any of this but we understand it's what we have to do and we have to pull the rope in the same direction and lo and behold we did all the way till the end of the season in Vegas and I think you had to recognize this as much as I did that once we got three or four races into it people were going okay yep this could work you know hey you know going forward maybe we make another little tweak here another change there but all of a sudden, some of those ideas that basically were forced upon everybody turned out to be ideas that people went, you know, that was a good idea. We can build on that. Maybe we should have done it sooner. Yeah, that's an absolute fact and uh, certainly was, was eye-opening for all of us throughout the year. And, uh, man, I appreciate you taking some time as uh, 
kind of working my way through the Rolodex here, and I was uh, certainly wanted to talk to both you and Joe Costello, and I got you in. So, man, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I'm assuming you will have your yearly uh, open bar libation at Wild West Engineering this year? Yes, sir, I will. We have, uh, you know, certain protocols that we have to follow here in the local government. But, you know, I'm going to have the door open. Christmas Day is supposed to be beautiful. And there's plenty of room to social distance. So I'm not expecting a huge crowd, but I expect a few of my diehards to stop by. And I wish everybody out there a Merry Christmas, including you, Brian, and your family. Thanks very much, Alan. Be good, man. You too. So that is our trip around the NHRA world, looking back over 2020, a variety of voices, a variety of roles, and a variety of memories and impressions from the season that was. I promise you a fun musical look back over the course of the 2020 season in the Top Fuel Eliminator category. Well, here it is, and the backing track here is ACDC Livewire. The final pair of cars at the 60th running of the Lucas Oil NHRA Winter Nationals under these cloudy skies will be Austin Prock and Doug Coletta. Instantaneous smoke for Austin Prockett with an 0.38 reaction time and an elapsed time of 3.698 seconds. We have done something that has never happened in the history of NHRA drag racing. The eighth final round meeting between these two lions of top fuel. Here we go. Identical reaction times to the thousands. The smoke coming off the tires of Doug Coletta. And this time it's Steve Torrance, 367.9. He talked about it in the interview before the final. The 367 sent this team a message, and boy, did they stand up and deliver. It's the last pair of the E3 Spark Plugs NHRA Nationals. Billy Torrance powering down the racetrack, and it's Billy Torrance. 3.802 seconds to 322 miles an hour. In the immediate past, Tony Zizzo double-stepped his car. You heard Bruno talk about it. His dad talked to him, talked him off the ledge, calmed him down. Will he be able to put the pressure out? The final round from a delayed race. Here we go. Ashley's 036. Zizzo's car has problems in it. Justin Ashley. 395 in at 267. A crazy final round. TJ Zizzo, 4056, 276. His car faltered, as did Ashley's, but it's Justin Ashley with the win line. Richard Hogan has been locked down very well today in the tune-up department. Steve Torrance has looked very capable behind the wheel, but Rob Wendland and Terry McMillan have something for them with this new car they built in their own shop three miles from the drag strip. Here we go. Steve Torrance smokes the tires. McMillan's trying to catch him, blows him up in the process, and Torrance wins the drag race. 4.273 seconds at 2.24. Torrance wins on a technical hole shot. Connie Coletta won the U.S. Nationals last year with Doug Coletta, but it's different this year. He tunes that race car. He is the crew chief of record. He looks on from the side of the racetrack. The Dodge team looks on from behind Leah. Sean Langdon, 15 on the Christmas tree. He goes across the finish line a second time U.S. Nationals winner. Connie Coletta celebrates. The yellow fellows go crazy. And Sean Langdon with a 15 reaction time just throttled Leah. Don Garlitz looking on at what is a surreal moment at the Gators. A fantastic battle, 3.809 seconds, beats him 381-0. What a fight. 
as Steve Torrance has won the Gator Nationals in the presence of Don Garlitz. Unbelievable. Immediate tire smoke for Steve Torrance, and that means Doug Coletta will win St. Louis. Doug Coletta, 3.690 seconds. The smoke trailing behind the race car at 322.58 miles an hour, and you can see a lot of elation on that side of the racetrack. Steve grabs 200 from his dad's back pocket off the starting line, and he takes more than that to the strike. 3.716 seconds, 328.78 miles an hour, as Billy Torrance goes 3810, and you can see we love Dom, and we know, Dom, you're watching, and we love you too, as Steve Torrance now unequivocally has taken control of the championship run in top fuel. Mike Green, the crew chief, steps away. Two top fuel titans to close out the weekend in Houston, Texas, and set us up for a finals in Las Vegas. Torrance is out first. They get to the finish line. Tony Schumacher! Wow! What an appropriate way to end this one. 28 ten thousandths at the stripe, and they absolutely threw the hammers at it. Low ET of the meet, 366.9. An instant classic final round, outrunning a 368.7 for Steve. I got the hair standing up on wow. my arms right now. This is an amazing final round. the favorite. This is their 11th career final round together. They are tied 5-5 lifetime. Who leaves with a rubber bench maker? Here we go. Steve Torrance was a day late and he's going to be a dollar short. It's Antron Brown on a hole shot. 3.759 seconds, 315 miles an hour, and perhaps a race that all of us have waited to see to see this man win again, and he just did it. Oh, Brian, you can hear him up here. You can see the excitement. Antron, a Wally is back in your hands in over two and a half years. On a hole shot, you picked that win up. How good is it to get this monkey off your back? It feels great off my back. It's the whole team effort, and we stay true to it. We're working hard. Looking forward to next year, but this Matco Tools team, all the distributors, everybody, Global Electronic Technology coming on, Steve Bryce and his wife, Samantha, the whole family, everybody stuck with us, man. TRD and all the people at Hank's First, the thing about it is it's a process, and we just never gave up. When the chips were down, we we're beating ourselves up, but the main thing is we stayed persistent to beat that resistance, and it's right here, baby. Woo! Right here in Vegas. And that is a look back at Top Fuel over 2020. Thanks to everybody who has tuned in and listened to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in over the course of more than 40 episodes in 2020. Look forward to getting back at it in 2021. Have a great holiday season. We're going to be taking a couple weeks break here at the NHRA Insider, but we'll be right back at it in January. Enjoy the winter. Enjoy the Christmas break. Certainly enjoy all the holidays your family celebrates. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening.